Hi, everyone, and welcome to the final part of a special London Symposium episode of The Networks. I'm Gareth Spence. On the previous three shows, we talked about the network edge, open optical networking, and network virtualization. Today is the turn of 5G. Let's join Anthony McGee live on stage as he provides a quick 5G reality check. So we've all seen the headlines. 5G has been launched. We've seen that a lot in the press. So what comes next? What comes after 5G, the launch of 5G? What comes after it? So I would like in this session to try and answer that question. Let's take a look at 5G, where it is right now. And it's useful to take a look at an international view. Who has launched 5G? Where are we? I would say that the first commercial launches 5G happened in 2018. Um, I cannot forget the the name of the first mobile operator to launch because it's the name of my youngest daughter, Eliza. I think it might be pronounced Elisa, but still it's close. (laughs) So I have to remember that name. But I think they were first in 4G, they were first to 5G. So I expect whatever comes next, they'll be first to that as well. 2019 came, and this is where we saw a lot of people really launching into 5G. We saw Austria launch in May, EE, the first UK mobile operator launching, um, and then a number of others following that. By 2020, the 5G observatory expect all EU member states to have launched 5G. So in the space of two years, we've gone from really the advent of 5G into all EU member states launched. But because we're in London, let's take a look at the UK. Now, it's already out of date. Well, let me just rewind the clock a little bit. May 30th, EE launched, followed by Vodafone 3, and then I had O2 sometime in October. I hope you enjoyed the detailed overview there. Let's take a closer look at the 5G space and explore what technology is actually being used in these deployments. So what are these operators launching with? How are they launching 5G? And I think it's really important to point out that they're launching on a type of standard called LTE Release 15. Now, the particular flavour of Release 15 that they're launching is this Release 15 non-standalone mode, so NSA non-standalone. What that really means is that they're taking a 5G new radio and they're connecting it into an existing mobile core network. So by doing so, they become 5G operators, right? Now, the headlines that we've all seen have really focused in on how fast can I get my handset to work on this new 5G network. So the headline speeds have all been about 300 megabit per second to the handset. So that's good. But what have these mobile operators done? And for the mobile operators in the room that know the detail, please close your ears. I'm going to try and bring it up a level and be quite high level so it's not too complex. They're taking their existing mobile networks. Now, these networks have footprint at the cell site. They connect those cell sites through a fairly simple, dumb transmission network into a core Network. So the Evolve Packet Core is where all of the intelligence of that 4G network really sits. That's where the connectivity is made between users that are using that 4G network. Their characteristics of the network is that they get 300 megabit, maybe one gig in that transmission layer down to the cell site, 
And typical latency is about 30 to 60 milliseconds. So that's round-trip latency. So they're taking that existing network and they're taking the radio, 5G radio, they deploy that at site. They might need some stronger towers because of the size of the antenna. They deploy what's called a GNB. So that is the 5G baseband unit. So that's deployed at cell site. They're upgrading their transport networks to be able to deliver the speeds that 5G theoretically can deliver to the handset. So that's 10 gigabit per second. So the transmission layer is being upgraded to a 10 gigabit per second link. We're starting to see people asking for 25 gig and even 100 gig from cell sites. So that knock-on effect is that you need to have better and smarter ways of aggregating traffic earlier in the network so that you don't overload the core of the network. Now, some operators, when they've started to deploy these things, have looked at the number of cell sites that they have out there, and I think... Rough estimate in the UK, we're looking at about 50 to 60,000 cell sites, macro cells. They've looked at the number of cell sites and they've you know, thought that's a lot of devices, a lot of places to go out and upgrade cell sites. So how can we do this in a more intelligent or in a better way? And some have decided that they would go down a disaggregation route. And Christoph mentioned this earlier. So one example is a, is a tip, cell site gateway that we're actively involved with. And this takes a white box cell site gateway and deploys an ADVA operating system on top of it called Activator. So we make a white box cell site gateway look to all intents and purposes like it's an ADVA-enabled cell site gateway. That's not the answer to everybody. Some people have looked at disaggregation and decided that that may be a cost burden. It's actually a level of complexity to some because they have to manage two vendors for one box. So it's not, every, it's not the answer to everything. So you may go for a vendor-specific cell site gateway. Now we've talked about the technology, let's talk about the standardisation. Here's Anthony. So the next wave of standardisation is going to take place in around 2020, and that is LTE release 16. So this standardises sometime around 2020. It could actually be delayed. We've seen some delays in this programme already. We're expecting this to launch 20, well, standardization 2020, and then effectively commercial reality will be about 2021, maybe 2022, and from there onwards. Release 16, I would say, is a bit of a, a new paradigm for the MNOs. The kind of things that it's aiming to support are highlighted in the blue there. It's industrial IoT. It's ultra-reliable low-latency communications. Vehicle to X. And these are areas that don't translate to how we use that 4G network today. We, we use our handsets, we browse the internet, we look at YouTube, those things. These are new applications that the mobile operators haven't had a great deal of experience with to date. So it's a new area for the MNOs. Anthony mentioned Release 16 there, and let's now take a look at what mobile network operators need to do to be ready for this new standard. Well, one of the things that I think is going to be important is coverage. So we're going to start to see lots of dense deployment of radios. So this is really, how do I deploy a dense radio network? I might go for small cell deployment. So lots of smaller radios out in the network. And when I do that, I will want to observe energy, space, footprint, 
and I will want to remove complexity from the radio and pull it into a more centralized location in the network. We call this centralized RAN. It's been around for a long time, but it's really becoming enabled by some new standardization activities around Ethernet-based front hull. At the same time as we're seeing that centralization effect, we're starting to see operators look at distribution of their core network into the access. So this may be to lower costs of transport, so economic reasons, but really I think the principal reason is going to be around latency reduction. So if you move that core network or parts of the core network, known as the user plane function, closer to the edge, then the latency experience will drop. This use case, centralised RAN distribution of the EPC, or UPF, actually requires new footprint within the network. It's an area that the mobile operators don't necessarily own. They have cell sites and they have core networks. They don't own this infrastructure. So this new footprint, where the centralised RAN may be deployed, where the user plane function will be deployed to, is an area that's new footprint for them that probably the wholesale operator has more access to than a mobile operator does. And it's a place where you can share infrastructure to lower the cost for the mobile operator. So I believe that the wholesale service is going to be really important in 5G. And just to kind of finish this off, speeds that we're expecting in this network, as we said, 10 gig, 25 gig coming in from the access. Latency, I'm expecting to start from release 16 at somewhere around 10 milliseconds or less. And synchronization, Christoph mentioned 1.5 microseconds as a, as a rule of thumb. We've seen some people talking about 130 nanoseconds, and actually the standards for baseband unit splits and how do you do your coordination in a radio network that's very densely populated. Some people have even been talking about 65 nanoseconds. So we expect a step change in synchronization, and that's why our Oscilloquartz friends are really um, investigating this market and actually have product to sell today. One of the key issues that we haven't yet touched upon is how mobile network operators will monetize 5G networks. Anton has been digging into this. I've taken a reference to a financial analyst in this case, KPMG, who've analysed the market. And what they found were that there was really two windows of initial interest that they expect to happen out in the industry. The first is what's what they're calling a campus-based network. So this is driven in terms of demand by the industrial sector, really the manufacturing base, trying to introduce new ways of manufacturing, new ways of assembly, and building private and campus-based networks. So this is, I think we had a discussion about spectrum earlier today. If you're going to use that spectrum that allows you to build shared access spectrum with a small pocket of license that gets you the ability to build a network within a region, you might start to build your own campus-based network. So that's really where we think the first few years of release 16 monetization will occur. And then in future, towards years two to six, they're expecting that the smart city area will take off. So retailers, finance, lots of other types of applications coming in behind that. But for now, I think it will all be around that campus-based enterprise mobile application. If you've been following the 5G space, you'll know that latency is a big issue. In fact, Anthony believes that it's the issue that mobile network operators need to overcome. Let's take a listen. In this space, there's one key word that I 
present on more than anything else at the moment, and that is latency. So latency, I believe, is critical to the success of 5G. We're seeing mobile operators in every region talk about the benefits of deploying mobile edge compute capability to reduce latency in the network. Now, you may think that we're going to talk about AR, VR applications, but that's kind of a bit legacy. I mean, it's a bit old school. The future of these kind of technologies is going to be XR, extended reality. And there's an example from Qualcomm here where they've defined a set of sleek and stylish glasses. I think that must be some marketing term. Um, that has a lot of 5G sensors embedded in the glasses. So these are not a mobile phone. These are the user equipment built into the frame of the glasses. They can use the sensors in the network to be able to encode movement of the, of the head. As, as people are wearing the glasses, they can encode the data at the edge of the network and access content local to, say, an operator on an assembly line. What they get on the screen of their glasses is a heads-up display using some new visual techniques. And what they can do is they can show very precision views of what the operator is looking at. And as they turn their head, the content that they see in their glasses has to be updated in a very low-latency manner. Otherwise, the user will notice and things will get delayed. User experience falls down. So this is an example of the way that people are reducing latency and the way that they're enabling these technologies is to actually bring the decision-making, the content-sharing part, closer to the end user, actually into the enterprise network rather than having it off in the core of the mobile network. So I believe that ultra-reliable, low-latency communications and this edge compute in this industrial sector is going to be really where the money is in 5G. There was some great information there on ultra-reliable low latency, and I'd like to stick with this topic a little longer. Here's Anthony talking about how low mobile network operators need to go. Well, Christoph kind of teed me up here, because there's this concept in some Japanese operators, NTT Decomo, as part of their early 5G demonstrations, demonstrated a virtual band. So this was people playing their instruments in different locations, with a very low latency service between them. And the latency characteristics, if you do the research, for virtual bands to be able to play properly is expected to be somewhere in the region of 20 milliseconds latency. Gaming, for those who have children, my children aren't yet gamers, but I hear that 10 milliseconds is the kind of nirvana for gaming. So 10 milliseconds, again, this is the kind of enhanced mobile broadband target is that 10 millisecond number. But if we look at some of the more exotic use cases of 5G, augmented reality, tactile internet, people wearing these smart glasses, they're expecting five milliseconds. Factory automation, predicting to be using one millisecond in the near term. Autonomous vehicles, well, I would want it to be as, as low as you can possibly go. I mean, one millisecond is a starting point, but do you really want to be relying on that? in your autonomous vehicle. Now, strangely, I, I did actually see a report um, from somebody analysing what comes after 5G, and they were looking at 2030, and they predicted 0.1 of a millisecond. That's really challenging. I, I don't want to say never, but it's going to be hard to get down to that value. IoT is an interesting one. So we tend to talk about IoT as a common function. 
But I think there's two areas of IoT that we need to be concerned about. There's the residential metering, sensoring. That probably doesn't need particularly low latency. But if you're using IoT to monitor your road conditions, your traffic light systems, interacting with the autonomous vehicles, then that needs to be as reliable and as low latency as your ultra-reliable low latency use case. So it's not something you can neglect. Now that, I might have mentioned earlier, is looking for a one millisecond use case. So with that in mind, where are you going to place your user plane function that brings that latency down? Where is the mobile edge? So we've seen that there are different drivers for this mobile edge. There's user experience. There's radio performance optimization. Economics come into it. Some people may want to share infrastructure. Others may want to be different and offer low latency as a differentiator. So we see these new areas of revenue. Enterprise networks, campus networks, IoT. Now that we've talked about low latency in detail, we need to look at how mobile network operators will achieve these latency levels. Back to Anthony. Now, in terms of their challenge, they're trying to find a location that they can place their equipment in to deliver low latency to the handset that is in region of 10 milliseconds today and, as we saw, 1 millisecond in future. So they may look at their network and observe that they've got a few options. They've got cell sites that they can deploy to. Some of them may have street cabinets if they're connected to a wholesaler that has street cabinets. Some of them may have access to exchanges. Now, it's worthwhile just looking at the link budget here. So in terms of a radio latency, today on a 4G network, it's in the order of about 8 milliseconds across that air interface, which means that the latency budget you have to place your equipment to deliver the low latency service has a round trip time of about 2 milliseconds. So that's the kind of window we're playing with here. If you look at 5G with ultra-reliable low latency, not standardised yet, we expect that a one millisecond radio latency will be the target in mind. Now, if you're burning one millisecond across the air interface, you don't really have anywhere to put your complex functionality. It has to all sit at the cell site. And I think that's really the challenge, is how do we identify the right place to deploy compute infrastructure to enable these low-latency services. So as we said, cell sites, one option. You might have some spare racks, or part of a rack might be spare in those facilities. But it probably costs a lot of money to go that far out with all of your edge compute. So some people may look at street cabinets and say, well, okay, there's hardly any room in there. There may be one, you know, one RU of space in there to put one single shelf but there isn't an abundance of space to put your server blades in. Maybe a bit cheaper. One alternative is to go into the exchange where there may be lots of space, but that takes time to get. To get that access, you have to go through lots of compliance and regulatory checks. So there's no one perfect place to put all of your edge compute. I think, naturally, it will start at the exchange and as the requirements change, we'll start to see people deploying edge compute closer and closer to the edge of the network. One thing that all of these places have in common, especially outside of the exchange, is the need for small footprint and the ability to support different temperature capabilities. So industrial temperature capability is really important. Okay, so now we know what's required. Let's take a look at how Adva can help. 
So our solution to that edge compute challenge is the FSP150 XG118 Pro. And this is a 10 gigabit per second cell site gateway loaded with layer two and layer three features. And it has an edge compute blade that can be optionally installed. So this is reflecting the fact that we know some operators may not have the business case ready that demands edge compute today, but they know they need to upgrade their cell site gateway. So the plan is to make this available. Um, it has synchronization. It's industrial temperature range. And we should not neglect the need of synchronization in this space. If you're going to deploy edge compute for mobile, you also need to synchronize your radio heads with a very precision frequency and phase distribution. And without a box that can deliver that synchronization and phase across the transport layer that's adjacent to the compute, you're not going to be able to achieve that. You're going to have to go for a two-box solution, one acting as your transport, the other acting as your edge compute. Another hot topic that's driving a lot of discussion in the industry right now is 5G opportunity for enterprises. Here's Anthony with some thoughts on what's possible. So if you want to bring the power of 5G to society... My belief is you will need to bring edge compute closer to the end user. It seems like kind of an obvious statement. So where are those people congregating? They're going into retail outlets. And really that's where they expect to use their 5G network. Now there's a couple of things that come to mind here. The first thing is I'm going to try my um, improved pronunciation. Um, I was advised that this is not Chick-fil-A a well-known American um, fast food outlet. It is Chick-fil-A. Um, so Chick-fil-A have deployed edge compute into most of their stores. And if they, you look at the map, they've plotted how many stores they have, and they believe that they have more cloud capability than either of the large ICPs and cloud-based providers. Because they have the footprint in the retail outlets where they expect the population to be using it. Now, I'm going to make the jump and say that Chick-fil-A, having these cloud compute capabilities in store, will be looking ahead at 5G and recognizing that if you want to deploy 5G on 26 gigahertz and still achieve 300 megabit per second to the handset, I wish you luck. It's not going to happen. 5G is probably going to bounce off that infrastructure and the people inside the building will not get access. So these guys will be wanting to make use of their investment in cloud compute to start deploying their own mobile networks. So this is where this idea of enterprise mobile, in-building, campus-based networks will start to spring up. Now, these need to be neutral locations where you can give access to the users that probably have agreements with a range of mobile operators. So they have to be neutral hosts is another term that we see cropping up in this space. But I really think it's going to be a symbiotic relationship. It's going to be edge cloud that the retailers offer to people that are using the applications in that space. But they will also be wanting to offer edge compute for the infrastructure provider to be able to break out of the mobile network and access the apps within their stores at the same time as building a 5G network in store. We've covered a lot of things in this show, and Anthony has one topic left to talk about. Let's take a quick look at what lies ahead. My answer to that is it's going to be more 5G. I'm not going to predict what comes after 5G. I don't know the name of it, and I don't intend to. For now, 
I think we're going to be seeing people upgrading their backhaul networks, 10 gig and 25, possibly going to 100. We're going to see more wide adoption of front-haul Ethernet technology, so these front-haul splits, taking the baseband unit apart, deploying it into the right location to achieve optimization of your network. And then later, this is where ultra-reliable low-latency communications will really become commonplace, I think, to try and drive latency down. That is everything for this special multi-part London Symposium episode. If you'd like to know more about any of the topics that were discussed on this or the previous shows, please email me at thenetworks at adver.com. Thanks for listening.